Hello and welcome to the Human Nurture Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Brand, and today we're doing a special bonus episode. I asked um, friend and colleague Jeff Pincus to come to the show and talk a little bit about, um, about doing PACT online because we are in this extraordinary time. Um, it, today is March 23rd, and we're right in the middle of the COVID-19 shelter in place, and we're all keeping six feet distance from each other and really trying to um, flatten the curve as, as the, um, all this new lingo that we're learning. And so um, I wanted Jeff to come in because Jeff has some experience doing um, PACT therapy uh, via, via online video. And, um, and so welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Jason. It's really good to be here. And uh, yeah. indeed, it is an extraordinary time that we're living through right now. So, yeah. yeah. And you, um, let's see, I met you six years ago, just as sort of a note of introduction, five or six years ago at Esalen, and you were assisting Stan and Tracy um, at the Wired for Love retreats with your wife, Rachel Kahn. Um, and w- how, how long into your PAC time was that? Were you was that a long time? Had you been a PACT person a long time yeah, before that? Think, you know, been doing PACT for, I think I met Stan about nine years ago. Okay. Um, yeah. And started training with him nine years ago and then became faculty um, something like, I'm not always great with timelines, but maybe something like uh, seven years ago. Okay, and you were one yeah. of the original core faculty, right? One of the original people who who were on the core faculty. Correct. So, um, yeah, there there were about a dozen of us, and Rachel, my wife, and I were core faculty, and we also helped to refine the teaching curriculum. Uh, so we helped to train many of the PAC therapists here in Boulder, Colorado. Great, and there's a there's a strong PAC contingency in Boulder, Colorado. Indeed. That's great. Um, and, and you, uh, I see you're, I'm looking at your office right now. This will be on, on, on audio when it, when it arrives, but you're in a very packed looking office. Um, so, and you're a couples therapist. He just moved to the side. He's <laughs> very nice rolling chairs and a video monitor all set up. Um, so, you, and you, and you work um, exclusively with couples in your office? I, I do. And, you know, occasionally there, there are, occasionally I'll do some um, individual therapy, but pretty much, of uh, the work that I do is exclusively with couples, both in um, ongoing couples therapy, as well as uh, three-day intensives, which are 12 hours of therapy over the course of three days. And then Rachel, my wife, and I uh, facilitate a uh, weekend workshop that's called uh, the Loving Well Accelerator, where we help couples to uh, learn how to love well. Great. Yeah. And I just, I found all this. I was just looking over your website, jeffpincus.com. And um, what's, what's Rachel's website? Just in case people want to check that out as well. Uh, probably rachelcon.com. Great. With a so C, not a C, K, right? Exactly. It's C-A-H-N. Okay, great. And, and you there, guys... there are links from my website to her website. And, you know, they're, they're a little bit um, dated. It's on the list to update them, to make them look a little bit more 21st century. But uh, all the information is off. Yeah, but the language on there is really nice. <clears throat> I think people can really get a sense of you, even you know, if 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 the website needs an update. I didn't think so, but um, but people can get a sense of you and your work uh, by visiting there. And I understand you guys might be um, or are starting up a, a new consultation group in Boulder. Correct. So we've had ongoing consultation groups for PAC trained therapists for years now, 
and we will be starting one up in April um, that will be online. So you know, anyone can join that has had some pack training. Great. Great. Okay. And I, I reached out to you because you wrote a piece on the pack <clears throat> listserv um, about doing video uh, sessions with couples. And it was just the tone of it, the, um, the timing of it. Uh, it was it was really really helpful, and so I appreciate. First of all, I just appreciate you writing mm-hmm. that piece. It was clear you put some time into it. Um, tell me a little bit about the impetus to write to write something to the PAC community about doing video work. Well, all of us are impacted by what's happening with the pandemic, um, both personally and professionally. And professionally, um, it's a significant pivot that we're having to do because in order to flatten the curve and protect ourselves, protect our families and protect our community and especially those most vulnerable in our community, um, I think it's imperative that all of us actually, um, at least for the time being, until it really is safe to be in closer proximity, that all of us shift to video-based therapy sessions. Okay. Great. And uh, there's been somewhat of a feeling of taboo about doing video <clears throat> sessions with, with PACT. It, did, you, did you have that sense? And how did you start, do, how did you start doing video sessions? Okay. Yeah, that, that's, an, that's an interesting observation. Um, you know, I started when I've had several couples that I was working with long-term move out of the area and want to stay connected to me and want to continue to work with me. So I thought, you know, this isn't ideal, but I'll give it a try. And I was pleasantly surprised that it still seemed effective. And as I wrote in the piece for the listserv, you know, at first I could feel the limitations of it just because, and I think part of those limitations are, um, have, well, have to do with not being used to the medium. You know, if we're used to working live in our office and literally being able to see someone in three dimensions, it's a significant shift to now be looking at a screen and seeing a couple uh, outside of our room uh, doing what they do. And all we have purely is a two-dimensional video display and audio. So Mm -hmm. that in itself, I think, is a significant change. And... Um, and change is hard, as we mm-hmm. know, as therapists. Change is hard, and I think change is also hard for us as therapists if we're working in one particular way to be able to expand how we work and, and, and learn new skills. Um, and so if you learn PAC to do it in your office and rely on um, all the tools that you, you, know, that you know how to, how to utilize, um, in close proximity with a couple, it's going to be slightly different when you're directing someone uh, in the, while they're in their home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And um, what I'm hearing, well, first of all, I think one thing that I, after a week of, um, of seeing, I, I've worked with a lot of individuals um, online, but I, I've never done couples therapy. Um, I've never done couples therapy online. And I think one thing that I recognized after this first week of doing it 
is it's it has become a place to put anxiety you know i mean i think that because it's it's our jobs there's so much of our livelihood invested here and we're sure. all doing this big shift so some of this is certainly i think that we need to talk about you know what are the differences and what are you know what are some of the upsides which i love that you talked about in your piece but mm -hmm. i think it's fair to acknowledge that that this is a place where we're putting where i think for a lot of us myself included we're putting our anxiety because it's new it's different um, and so, and we're anxious. I mean, so that's, let's yeah. just start with that. No, I think that's a valid point. All, all of us, um, if, if you know what's going on, probably 99% of the people on the planet know what's going on. I think all of us are anxious. It's, it's a scary time. There's so much uncertainty and there's something really dangerous that we can't see, um, that threatens both our livelihood and our health. So, yeah. yeah. Well said. And um, there's a lot, I think, so let's just get into some of the, some of the anxieties that people are feeling. And, and, you know, of course, I don't expect you to have all the answers to these. I don't think anybody does, but, but it's helpful just to talk about it. And sure. um, let's go for the first one that I hear from, that I've been hearing from a lot of people um, is that, um, and I, this, I share this worry that we're concerned about couples going out of the window of tolerance and not being able to be with them um, in the office and not being able to help them in the ways that we do when we have them, you know, sort of live in front of us with a beginning, middle and an end in our offices. Do, do you have thoughts on that? Sure. You know, can we dig deeper into that? Um, can you say something about um, couples going out of the window of tolerance? Why would that occur or why would that be harder or scarier um, through video than working in your office. I'm just curious. Yeah, sure. I, part of that for me would be um, that one, I think there's the concern about the end of the session. If, if they, you know, I mean, ideally we want to be creating a beginning, middle and an end to the session and we want people to leave, sure. you know, right side up for sure. And hopefully right. pretty well grounded would be, you know, would be our, would be our goal. And, um, and one thing that, 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 is scary to me is the thought that you know that well one that the medium itself um that we would we would be with people and um and we wouldn't have enough sort of of our tools available to us to help them to get situated so that they could begin the co you know begin co-regulating that would be and begin to sort of operate as a team that that would be one piece um, and then the second would be that they would go outside the window of tolerance and then they're at their house and um, and I and for some reason like worst case scenario there comes up in my mind you know like right. uh, like Stan has that famous quote like am I going to read about you guys in the paper tomorrow right. you know um, right. the you know so that so that sort of worry that like I'm gonna I don't know I don't have a real I don't have the pulse of how they were live in the room and then I leave them to um, sort of without, without me there. Does that articulate some of it? I, I mean, some of this yes. is hard to tease out, but does that, does that give you enough to go yeah, on? Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, we need to then separate out, you know, the risk to domestic violence, which is the implication in with Stan's uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek comment. Right. And, um, and just a couple that will be dysregulated. So, I think we can still regulate our couples uh, over the course of video, and we have to find workarounds to do that. Um, and part of the, the medium 
does limit us in certain ways, right? When we're in our office, we could wheel in on our chairs and we can get a partner's attention and talk to them. And just that, just breaking attention from what it is that they're focusing on, that in itself can be regulating for many partners, right? They're no longer engaged in the loop of um, threat and fight or flight. And now we're being friendly with them. We're being relational with them. We're hopefully putting them into more of a eventual vagal state. That I believe can be done over video, but it has to be very intentional. Partly because um, just physically the way the monitors are set up, you're you're looking at your couple on the screen and even right now actually yours looks pretty good like you look like you're looking at me in my eyes Mm, but where are you actually looking at jason so i'm i i have my chair pretty high and i'm sort of i i'm sort of in line i have a, a macbook pro with the with the camera at the top of the monitor um, mm-hmm. so I'm on a laptop. There's a, there, if you look at the green dot that's there, it's uh, right. So I'm pretty much looking at that, but now I can't look you in the eye and look at the camera at the same time. Correct. Um, you know, that, that trick on when you're taking selfies or whatever, it's like, you know, my you wife always says, look, over, look over there, not over there. Right. Right. Exactly. So you have, so, and I'm on a big Mac screen mm-hmm. and, um, and if I want to look you in the eyes, I actually, I mean, mm. I have to do that. And I don't what know are you doing can... there? Just because people can't. So what, tell me okay. what. So, so let's do a little experiment. I'm going to be looking at the screen itself. And I want you, Jason, just to describe maybe in a couple of words what it feels like. So I'm, I'm looking closely at my screen right now. Uh-huh. Hi, hi Jason. Yeah, there's it's the, weird. There's that. I see the top okay. of your head. I see your top of your glasses, and okay. um, and yeah, and you feel you feel like you've got your head down, and you're and you're sort of at work, and I you know and I don't want to bother you essentially. Right, right, okay. So, so you you yourself are having a somatoaffective experience just in in that little experiment, right? That I don't feel so available to you, and we're not that connected. But if I look up at the camera, and I'm no longer concerned with. Uh, your image on my screen and uh-huh. I look at the camera and I say, hi, Jason, how are you? Totally different. It's Good like you're, you. it's, there's a 3d. I mean, it's obviously 2d, but there's more of a much more of a 3d feel. Right. So we are going to need to do that at times to regulate our couple. You're actually going to need to um, <clears throat> call the person by name and have them look at the camera and then mm. To speak to them, making sure that you're looking at the camera, because in a sense, now you're looking in their eyes. And that in itself, um, we know that's regulating. Mm-hmm. So the other piece, the other concern about window of tolerance, and again, this, this is you know, probably not appropriate for the most extreme couples, which to self-disclose, I, I, you know, I cut my teeth on everyone and certainly the most extreme couples. I used to you know, have an attitude of, of bring it, bring it into my office and I, and I will learn, I will, I will do the best that I can to work with it. And I learned so much that way. I guess I have the, um, the luxury now of being more selective of who I work with. And I mm-hmm. tend to work with more highly motivated couples that really are interested in learning. Uh, 
but I know that's not the case for everyone. So, um, so you can still work with couples that will fall out of the window of tolerance. Because again, you know, if couples have unresolved trauma, that is going to pop up uh, in our office in a surprised way. It, you know, it's going to surprise us and we're going to have to work with it on the fly. And the same skills that we use in our office, I believe we can use over the, um, over the computer, but it does also force us to be uh, more crafty in um, how are you also going to utilize the partner? How are you going to utilize touch? How are you going to utilize proximity of the partner to regulate that dysregulated person? Great, great. And, and just, I mean, I don't expect you to have the, um, I mean, I want to get into that, but I don't, and I don't expect you to have the sort of pact, you know, law here, but mm -hmm. seeing new couples, um, I've been hearing from a lot of colleagues that they're saying like, Hey, look, I gotta, I gotta have a, you know, my business <clears throat> has got to run here and people are calling and they want to be seen, seeing new mm -hmm. couples and seeing, you know, you're more, um, you're, you're couples who get more dysregulated or might have, you know, um, disorganized. Um, attachment or, you know, in those, in those cases, what, do you have quick thoughts on, on the appropriateness of, of video? Still workable. And, and again, you know, I think all, we all have to know um, what we're good at and what our edges are and maybe what our own professional liabilities or areas for development. So I think we all have to be honest with our skill set. But I know I did an intake last week, three-hour intake, with um, a couple and this person had one of the partners had um, one of the you know most awful uh, backgrounds that I've heard you know mm -hmm. a, a lot of abuse and neglect and so um, and this person got highly dysregulated and yet it was a beautiful session through that dysregulation partner was through my direction with the partner was able to regulate um, partner A, and bring partner A back into the window of tolerance, as well as to integrate uh, what was, or to begin to integrate stuff that actually had been split off for mm. decades. Mm -hmm. And we landed right side up. And, you know, I think about uh, your question about the concern for how the session ends. That's always a concern for pack therapists because we're always wanting our couple to land right side out, right side up and walk out of the office feeling better than they did when they came in. And a lot of that has to do with keeping an eye on the clock and managing time and understanding the impact that we're trying to have with our interventions and course correcting and make sure that we never end abruptly. So we might have to course correct and say you're doing the PAI, um, and this is actually what happened for me last time. And actually, I I'm one that always always does the PAI first mm. session. Oh wow! Okay, always and mm. has never had a problem with that. But mm. you have to be skillful with that. For one, I do screen couples before I schedule them. Before I meet with them, I want to have a 20 minute phone call with them just so I can suss out who these people are. So I can get a sense, do I want to work with them? How motivated are they? What are their, what are their real goals? And, um, 
and before they come in, having a sense of who I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. So you do that screening, going back to this intake that I did, um, it was clear that given the level of trauma, I didn't have time to then do the partner. And mm. that was probably one of the first times, and I've worked with thousands of couples, literally one of the first times I've never completed the PAI going both ways. Huh. And it just felt like, you know, I can tell that partner B, partners B, B's issues had a lot to do with being dropped, being abandoned. And if I cut it short, there's a likelihood that that person's going to feel um, like they're being dropped. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to, you know, recapitulate that experience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I shared my concerns and partner B um, was grateful um, for that concern and said, yeah, let's wait, let's wait and let's do it next time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so there's an example of having to pivot because there is too much to do right in front of me regarding regulation and trauma activation and, and getting uh, partner A back to a um, more regulated state as well as helping to integrate what just happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I mean, one thing I'm noticing is it's just nice to talk. <clears throat> to talk about our craft um, in the mm. midst of all this. Like this. So that's part of it. And it sounds, it's nice to hear how you work. Um, now, do you think that if they were in the office that that would have been any different? Do you think that you would have been able to regulate partner A, um, you know, sort of uh, more, I don't know if skillfully is the right word, but somehow, you know, kind of, kind of um, if you would have done something different, if it were, it, would this have gone different had it not been an online intake? It's a good question. It, you know, it's so hard to know with hypotheticals, right? Right. Um, that's a really good question. I don't know. Um, it might have, I might have been able to regulate the situ help regulate the situation um, more expediently. Um, and maybe I would have picked up more of the more dissociation and more even like a, a splitting defense, but, um, but to be honest, I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not sure. I mean, th this person's stuff was really, um, you know, fairly unresolved and yeah, I, I, to be honest, I, I don't know. Okay. Great. I appreciate your honesty. And the, um, just, just to hit a couple of points on, um, how, how, on where are things different? I mean, I think that we should just clarify that. I mean, I, one thing I heard sort of filtered down that um, from Stan was that he said it's a unique opportunity to get buy-in with appropriate behavior within the session. And so I, what I take that to mean, I mean, I, I, I don't really have the context for that, but mm -hmm. I, what, I, what I imagine that it means it has something to do with being more top-down, um, possibly being more top-down when you're working on video because you have less streams of you know, sort of, uh, you have less real-time, how would you say it? Streams of... I would say, you know, fewer streams of data, right? Like right. an example is like, we're, you know, we're really limited to visual data and auditory data. And I think as therapists, we're actually, there's so many more data streams that we don't even realize we're picking up. Even for, for an example, I was thinking about this last night. Um, 
oftentimes during a three hour intake, I'll take a bathroom break and it's a nice time to, well, and offer the couple a bathroom break and it's a good time to reset. And then usually that's when, uh, when they come back, I'll do the PAI. And so Mm -hmm. there's a, it's a new chapter of experience that we're going to move into something new and different and it's a good reset. I'll notice when I come back in the room, sometimes there's a stress smell. There's the smell of, huh. of human perspiration that is associated with sweat because it has um, you know, different types of hormones in it than if you're just hot. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's a, and there's a, a particular body odor and, and that, that in itself is a, you know, that's a data stream that we're picking up. We might not even notice it when we're in the room. I only yeah. notice it when I leave the room and I come back and I'm like, Oh, okay. There's that smell. And then I see, and, and before that I might have seen sweaty armpits, um, mm-hmm. you know, sympathetic mm-hmm. arousal being demonstrated in, in my couple's bodies, but to actually be able to smell it. Well, you know, that's just an, one example of a data stream that we won't have access to. And right. smell is a very potent um, data stream because it, it bypasses, I mean, it goes right into the hypothalamus, I think, or bypass, I, I forget, does it bypass the hypothalamus or it goes directly into the hypothalamus in the sense mm-hmm. that it's not processed at all by the upper um, parts of the brain at all. It's, it's, it's really direct because we used to have a smell brain. Right. Right. And that's why we olfactory senses, you know, can be so, it can bring up so much nostalgia and like, Oh my God, I still remember the way my grandmother's house smells or, um, cause it's got sort of a direct hit there. Um, the, uh, um, I, I I also want to just ask you about, um, about our own regulation. Um, I mean, I can even feel it a little bit here. If I, I have to really work hard or there's a kind of work that I feel when I'm going into the screen. Um, mm-hmm. and that I guess is true when I'm with another person as well. But so I, I really focus on you when I'm, when I'm doing these interviews, um, or when I'm doing, um, a session over, over zoom. Um, then if I back up out of it, um, I feel alone in my office. I feel the kind of, you know, just this space, this empty sure. room. It's yeah. very different. And for, and I don't know if this is just a getting used to it thing, but I feel a sense of, oh my God, I'm so far away from this person. And mm. that creates in me a kind of like, and then there's this kind of, okay, now I got to get back, which has its own experience. So I'm wondering if you, have you, do you have any ideas about self-regulation for therapists while they're doing, uh, while they're doing video? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good question. I think for one, the importance of being able to stay connected and really focus our attention. Um, we are more separate and I think there's no way around that. That's the reality of the situation. You're in Berkeley and I could see your nice, um, upstairs office there Mm -hmm. and I'm here in Boulder and and there is there is a distance where you know I, I I can't smell you I can't touch you I <clears throat> only see you on the screen right but I think one of the ways you know that you know when I when I was training um, training for training pact uh, you know we would talk about um, 
working with couples, it, relax as a therapist, relax and watch the movie, right? Stan mm-hmm. talks about that. Just watch the movie. Right. Well, now it's very movie-like because now mm-hmm. you're watching a couple on the screen. And then, so allow yourself as the therapist to li- really sit back and just watch this, watch this couple do what they do on the screen. So you can, as we say, move from inspiration, not from pressure, um, as well as, uh, you know, I, I, well, I, I've taken the, the metaphor of watching a movie further and it informs a lot of, of how I work. So Stan talks about, you know, watch the movie, relax, eat the popcorn, and that's a way to stay regulated. But I think also as far as how to craft um, effective interventions, if you think about, it's like you're watching a movie and you're both the director and the audience, and first you're the audience, but if you were the director, how would you like this scene to end? What would be a satisfying sort of happy ending to this particular scene, this particular interaction that the couple is engaged in that probably is a um, sort of recursive, uh, you know, system. You know, if, 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 they're, if they're not being loving, if they're not behaving in ways that are um, secure functioning, then they're stuck in some kind of recursive uh, perception and behavior and it's not satisfying for them and it's probably not that satisfying to watch as a audience member mm-hmm. but as therapists we get to be the directors so how would you like this scene to end and then in fact then I reverse engineer it I go from I think about how I would like it to end and then I and then I sequence it in my mind backwards to think about what would induce that multi-step process to getting to a more loving, happy, satisfying completion of that scene. And typically the intervention is something that is small, but very impactful because it changes the system. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. So does that make- it does make sense. And I thought, I thought it'd be a great way to step through kind of within that process of you both as audience and director. We could step through some of the things that you brought up in your, um, in your article on the listserv um, about, about kind of how you're using these things and if there's any tweaks to being on video. So one would be counter-transference. Um, yeah. I mean, you're the director, you're the audience. Can you talk a little bit about your, you know, kind of what you're noticing in your own data streams as they're as they're percolating with the couple. So is this a, this is a question? This is a question, sorry. <laughs> it was a statement and a question all mixed okay. up into one. Um, it's a question in terms of how do you use counter-transference um, within this, within being oh, okay. a director and, and an audience, um, and how might the screen make it different or the same? Right, okay. So, so again, you know, just to reiterate, you know, what I was explaining, um, I'm relaxing my body, um, and having just a soft gaze, which you can do on video as well. You step back and you just watch this scene. You're just watching a couple uh, in the wild, so to speak. Um, and now it's even more real because they're in their home. And I think there are some benefits to that. We could talk about that in a moment. Okay. Um, but 
I'm relaxing my body. I'm staying focused on what I see. And I'm just getting curious about, you know, why does partner A do that? Why does partner B do that? And what do they seem to be missing as far as the impact of their behavior? And, and why might they not correct each other's perception? Right? Mm. So much of what we're working with has to do with perception. Great. Uh, partner's perception of, of what the other person is up to, what their intention is. Um, they're ascribing intention that is based in memory, right? That's based in uh, deep uh, memory of the old country with those other people. Mm. I realize I'm getting off on a tangent here a little bit because you're asking, asking me about counter-transference. So I'm, I'm relaxing, I'm thinking about these things, but I'm not in a very um, tight way, more in a loose, curious way. Mm-hmm. And I'm just having these uh, wonderings, you know, move through my mind. And then I think about the scene. I think about, um, there's a funny noise. Do you hear a funny noise? I don't hear any funny noise on my side. It actually is quite That's nice. Good. Your voice okay. has a lot more prosody when you're, when you're holding the mic like that, though. So, so it's an ah, interesting okay. experiment that you just set up with, with the uh, with Oh, the okay. So, so I, will, I will do this more often. Okay, great. <laughs> and, um, and then I really am thinking about or feeling if this was a really good movie, and I, and I love movies, and I especially love love stories, mm-hmm. um, if this was a, a beautiful love story, how, how should this scene end? And what's it going to take in order for that, the scene to end that way? And, and again, that is my own counter-transference because I'm having a preference for how this ends. That is in, um, it is in line, I believe, with what it is that they want. They're coming to us because they're in pain and they want to feel love. Mm-hmm for the most mm-hmm. part, mm-hmm. You know, to, to really oversimplify it. And what's going to get them there? And what small, small move? An example would, might be, what is it that I wish partner A would say or do to partner B? And one of the uh, methods that I use, I'm going to grab my, uh, so I can show it to you. One of the, one of, I just went and I grabbed a pad. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I've done, and I wasn't trained this way, but I came up with it, is um, I script lines. So mm. I, I know back in the day when I first started training with Stan, one of the moves that he would have is he would literally move in next to a couple and he would speak for the partner. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I think he does less of that, though it's still in the training video with the high arousal, same-sex male couple, when they're in the midst of a fight, you know, Stan goes next to them and says, you know, I, I, I fucking love you. Right, right, right. That's right? great, yeah. So, um, but I think there's a potency to, for those messages to come from the partner's voice. Right. Uh-huh. So what I tend to do is um, I have this pad, and I do this in my office, but you can still do it online, I'm writing down their line, and then I will say, Jason, look at the screen for a sec, and, and partner B, look away. Oh, cool. 
and, and they read and they read it and then they say it and now i'm putting that into the system and now we're starting i'm being able to start to change the system i love that and so just for because people are going to be hearing this uh what jeff did is he wrote i love you on the pad and he held it right up to the camera so basically i saw a little bit of his face and i saw i love you in you know just scrawled across the screen in his handwriting which is which was very nice and i think um and and yeah, it's, and that's really helpful in terms of, I think it gives me the idea that we can actually, because it's, it's such a static image in certain ways, the, the screen, and, and our bodies aren't when we're sitting in front of people, we're moving around, and we're hopefully animated, and right. so this actually gives us, there are ways that we can have some variation in the way that we appear, or the things that we put in front of the screen for the couple to look at. For sure. And so this is an example, I mean, I call this intervention scripting and I rely on it a lot because mm -hmm. I'm, because I'm, I'm relating to what's happening, happening to me um, a bit like a movie. That's the countertransference. And, you know, Stan started that metaphor. Well, let's keep building on that metaphor. And now we, we can literally script what it is that our partners say to each other. Um, and we can do that, you know, uh, via video as well you write down what it is that you're you want partner a to say it should be really simple it should be it should have a big impact um it should be a right brain message so it should be you know subcortical right brain something really simple to uh metabolize cognitively but that hits the emotional centers mm -hmm. and that hits that are theme and the messages or the the lines should be thematic Mm -hmm. based on um, attachment and developmental issues and and what I think of as even developmental tasks, you know. That's cool. Yeah. 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 And um, it makes me think, you know, one thing that I've been struggling with a little bit is um, is stopping couples. I mean, in my office, I'll wheel right up and say, hey, you know, time out, you know, uh -huh. and and um, and and. It's, I'm finding it harder to, to, to stop the action, to stay with the, with the director metaphor here and say, let's play this scene again. Any, any tips, tricks, ideas about stopping the action and resetting people? Well, I think sometimes, well, for one, I think it's important for us, the therapists, to really have a clear um, understanding as to why we're stopping them, right? Mm -hmm. So to go back to countertransference, is this something that is um, truly detrimental to each other and is going to do damage, or is it just business as usual for them, or is it our own countertransference that we're uncomfortable with what is happening in front of us, and and it's hard for us to tolerate the the heat and the bad behavior. And it's, it's not pleasant, you know, when couples are misbehaving and treating each other poorly, it's, it's, it's unpleasant. And we want to either, it's natural to want to get away from it or to want to change it. But I would suggest that we're not too quick to do that because we want to see a scene play all the ways through. And I'll want to, I'll want to, I won't stop couples until it really is so repetitive that I've seen this one multiple times before that I can see the pattern in it. But, mm -hmm. but the first points of misbehavior, I actually want to see a play through because I want to see how it ends, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, and then, you know, after a while, when I've seen it multiple times, when I've seen the sequence and then the sequence repeats, 
now I know the pattern. Now I understand what what they're not doing and what the inter intervention um, is like. You can still use the tool of going down the middle mm -hmm. and confronting the couple, you know, mm -hmm. about their bad behavior. It's something like, uh, you know, this isn't loving at all, or mm. it doesn't even seem like you guys like each other. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, this ends up feeling like a street fight instead of it just feeling like, you know, uh, like you love each other. Oh, like a lover's, lover's quarrel. You know, I tell couples, lo you should have lover's quarrels. You should look like you're still lovers even while you're fighting. Mm. And this feels like a street fight to me. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I could even feel that as you said it. It's just that there's a nice sort of you're on their side and you're 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 promoting a kind of um, a way of being together that that you know that that's what they're there for. Um, that's, yeah, that's very nice. Um, it also, as you were using your hand, I noticed kind of you know that you I could see you as particularly. Um, you know, as you described the lover's quarrel, your hand, you were moving your hand. And um, so can you talk a little bit, you mentioned in the article prosody and tell people what prosody is and kind of what, what you mean by how you use prosody within the, um, within, within video sessions. For sure. Well, we are paying very close attention to um, the audio stream of data because again, we only have audio and video. You know, visual rather. Those are really the two streams that we're limited to in data. So those need to become amplified in our own experience so that we can um, see and hear uh, and get more information from this um, limited medium. So we're listening to the prosody of our couples mm -hmm. and you know what the prosody might mean. We're listening to arousal we're listening to, um, you know, do they sound friendly or do they sound dangerous? Mm -hmm. Or are they just intense? You know, I'm, you know I, I grew up in New York. My father was from the Bronx and my mother was from Brooklyn. So mm. there's a certain intensity that is normal from where I come from. You know, if maybe you came from Iowa and, and hung out with my family and be like, why are they fighting? It's like, no, we're just having a conversation. Mm -hmm. So... So certainly we have to understand what prosody means to this particular couple right. and the impact that prosody might have on a partner. Um, and that might be different from our own um, reaction that we're having. So we want to be careful. But so we're listening closely to how they speak to each other, not just the words that they use, but literally the tone and the timber and the music of their voice. Mm -hmm. And then we can start to use the music of our voice. Mm. So I noticed as I was speaking just a moment ago, I was getting more intense mm -hmm. and there's more pressure in my speech. And now I'm intentionally slowing down my pace and my Prosody is probably, uh, you know, there's, there's, um, uh, I'm a man. Well, maybe I can ask you, Jason, what's your experience now, the way I'm speaking to you compared to the way I was talking when I was, um, talking about my family in New York? Yeah. Well, it's, it's what I'm noticing is a shift from sort of following and un, I mean, I, I, following and understanding kind of your story. And now as you're shifting to a slower pace 
I'm noticing more. I'm just kind of following the the vibe a little bit more. I'm following more the kind of underlying tone of the way you're talking and it's supposed to be it sounds like it's less directive and more sort of like you know use what i'm saying to have an impact on the way that you're speaking and thinking right now does that make sense yeah and i'm curious if you're willing to share sure can you even share as i speak more this way what's your subjective experience in this moment my subjective experience is um well it's body based i mean i think that that it would it would i mean uh it's more gut feeling um mm-hmm. i feel it more in my gut and i'm going like okay you know i also find myself going where is my arousal level um because in these interviews you know i i find that i tend to be very much up in my head and i tend to like sure. them better when i'm kind of you know more down in my seat and yeah. so it's a reminder to go to that place um, yeah. And I, if I may, I just felt the shift in my body, mm. right? You closed your eyes for just a moment mm-hmm. and I saw that and your voice got a little bit lower and then a little bit slower and I felt myself relax a little bit more. Cool. And so now we're doing co-regulation mm-hmm. through this medium, just playing with prosody. We just did it with each yeah. other. Yeah. And that's, as I, I really like that. And I think that that's one thing that we as therapists, we have a real opportunity now to experiment together, I think, in ways that we, that we wouldn't have otherwise because we're so isolated often in our offices all day long. And now we have this new vision of the way that our offices are, our offices are open in a different way. And so, um, for example, my wife and I, we just um, we demoed for our Hans's consultation group that I'm in. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and it was, it was, you know, I learned a lot in it and I, and it was a pretty deep experience in terms of what me and my wife experienced in that session. So I think it really opens us up to experiment and play in new ways um, that we're, as we're figuring all this out. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's a really good point because I think, you know, all of us tend to, um, you know, find our comfort zone and and pact is not an easy it's not an easy method to learn it, it, it isn't and it's not a you know you have to be very focused and interested in really getting good at it to become proficient frankly because mm-hmm. there's a lot of moving parts to it it's complex which i think also is its um potency and its brilliance um and then it's easy to, I think, kind of coast. You get, you get comfortable enough. You're able to survive those sessions and, you're, and you feel more mm. confident and more proficient. And then it's easy to just start doing the same thing, mm. um, start doing the same thing with most couples. Mm-hmm. And, and that can be helpful to them. But as far as are we as a therapist growing, I think we're always having to push ourselves to, to move outside of our comfort zone, to take risks so that we too keep growing and learning. And certainly the benefit is um, we become more effective therapists, but it also keeps it fresh and exciting for us. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. We're, we're all being thrown a curve um, the Corona curve and (laughs) we're having to show up in Mm -hmm. a different way. And we're Mm -hmm. going to have to develop skills that we might not feel proficient with, but we don't really have a choice now. And that 
in some ways is a, a good uh, learning environment because mm -hmm. we're being, you know, we're, we're having to do something with one hand tied behind our back. And then, so maybe the thing that we're used to doing, um, we can't rely on as much as we did. And we're going to have to find another way to have the same result. Got it. Yeah. And um, I, one, one thing that I think, you know, that everybody's been, I think we've all been noticing and, and, and I thought you wrote about it really beautifully, um, house calls, that we're doing house calls now. And, um, and also how that can affect memory systems. And you got a little mm -hmm. bit into that, but can you say mm -hmm. a little bit more about those two ideas? For sure. So a lot of how we work with PACT and I think just any um, uh, good trauma-based therapy or psychodynamic therapy is we're working with memory because what's happening is, well, because we know that perception is driven by memory. That's just how the brain works. That's, that's human um, and probably mammalian. Um, so the problem with that with couples is, you know, they're not seeing each other for who they really are and they're, you know, overlaying, you know, deep early learning, deep early limbic learning that's coloring their uh, perception of their partner and that's informing their behavior and so they respond accordingly based on how they felt back in the day got it and um, and so good therapy is helping people to be less encumbered by uh, the memory of the past right mm -hmm. so we can have more freedom of choice and experience in the present moment hmm. um, House calls. House calls. Thank you. I You're can, welcome. I can take the scenic route sometimes. And sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I need that guardrail. No uh, problem. Thank, thank you. So house calls. So that. So in PACT, we're working with state-specific memory, oftentimes, and we're working with the problematic state, um, and working with upgrading memory through a process called the reconsolidation of memory by creating a new experience that challenges the old learning. Does that make sense? It does. It makes okay, a lot of so sense. So yeah. that's why when we're watching couples even misbehave, we don't want to just stop it immediately because we, we have to see the extent of the problem state. And then eventually we're going to intervene and work with that problem state. So hopefully they remember the new move when they encounter that problem state again, we're now like grafting on a new experience onto an old familiar patterned feeling, mm -hmm. right? So that's the state specific memory, but there's also place specific memory. Mm. And, and that's very um, potent. If you think about what happens when you go back to your childhood town or house, if you have the ability to go back to the house that you grew up in, all of a sudden, you know, it, it, it's instant. You're flooded by all the associations that occurred or even a, a particular food that maybe your mother made you and you eat that food and it, and it brings up all kinds of emotional associations mm -hmm. um, because, again, the, the brain works also through association. So one of the things that I hear on a regular basis from my couples is, you know, how well they do in my office and yet it's so hard to do it at home 
Yeah. And, um, and our office is a very safe container for them and for us. Now we're making a virtual house call. Now we're actually working in the place where problems um, are likely to occur. Mm-hmm. And my thinking is that can be beneficial because it feels a little bit less artificial mm-hmm. when they're in my office, even though, you know, they feel safe and it's a nice space. Um, there's still in their own experience, a gap between what happens in this sort of hermetically sealed container when I'm here mm-hmm. and what happens when they're, when they're out in real life. So now we're visiting them in real life, right? Yeah. We are visiting them in their living room, in their den, at the dining room table, whatever it is. And working with state-specific memory in the place that is oftentimes the place where they are triggered. Yeah, it's a very hopeful message. I mean, and it stands as a nice flip side to my nightmare scenario of I leave you guys and then read about you in the paper tomorrow morning or, you know, stands tongue in cheek. And and the idea that we could leave people in their homes, having a a state-specific experience that's new via online therapy is a very nice, hopeful message for what we can provide. Great. And in fact, I mean, as, you, as you're um, uh, paraphrasing that, um, what comes to mind is we can even help anchor the memory, right? So when you get to a sweet spot, mm-hmm. um, you can have your couple, you know, say they're hugging or kissing. You could tell them, now look around, Mm. Okay, mm-hmm. you're you're in your home, and this is mm-hmm. who you guys are. Mm-hmm. Right? You can you can underscore and amplify that positive state um, again through prosody and through words. You could say, you know, look at you. You guys are a beautiful couple, and I can see how much you love each other. And then look at each other and look around. And so now you're anchoring that state using um, the external environment. Yeah, I think that's very nice. And, um, and I think it's actually a nice way to begin to, um, to end our time together today. Um, do you have any uh, final thoughts? I'm wondering if you have any sort of, um, not to put you on too much on the uh, pressure on you here, but is there wisdom or things that you're saying to couples, you know, during this difficult time um, to help anchor them that's, um, you know, that, that's in line with our, how we work as PAC therapists? For sure. Um, there's, you know, there's a couple of thoughts that come to mind. One is, um, you know, PACT is based on the idea that, you know, of secure functioning and having partners rely on each other um, emotionally and otherwise. And this is a very uncertain time. And there's a lot of stress and just how important it is for partners to really be good at supporting each other, at taking care of each other, at taking turns being strong and Mm. so the other one can fall apart and be scared. But if they're both scared at the same time, that can be a recipe for um, misappraisals and, um, and conflict and polarization and seeing each other as enemies. Mm. So, it's it's it, it it it's real world stuff now that they really need to rely on each other. Um, 
The other thing too is one of the biggest motivators, I think, for human beings is, um, is loss. And we know mm -hmm. that to be true. Mm -hmm. And usually loss is fairly abstract. Death is fairly abstract, you know, mm -hmm. that it's, until it really touches us. And now it's, it's really touching us and it's going to touch us even more. Mm -hmm. So that helps people prioritize, what are you really about? And, mm -hmm. you know, what, what kind of partner are you? What kind of lover are you? What's really important in this life? And love and relationship is, is really important. And people get that when um, they're facing the, the potential loss of, of their own life or a loved one's life. So I think, you know, it's a very rich time, frankly, mm -hmm. um, because, because reality is close. Mm. Wow. Okay. Well, th thanks so much for joining me today, Jeff. I think this will be really helpful for people. I certainly felt like um, it, it helped me to get grounded in terms of the work that lies ahead. And so again, thank you for that. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you for the service that you're doing to the, for the uh, PAC community. It's uh, really valuable, your work. My pleasure. And uh, be safe and take care. Thank you to you as well, Jason. <laughs>